Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the Eco Wild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody. 
everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. This is like the fourth one we've done in this room today, so getting a little delirious, so hang in there with me. Uh, today, we've got one of my favorite people in the hunting industry uh, who's come on again, uh, which I thank you for, Mr. Cus Strickland. Yes, hey, glad to be here. I see you guys with stale sandwiches and, and nabs <laughs> over there, so I feel for you. But, you know, you kind of got to make hay when the sun shines. You got all these people close by, so I'm, I'm, I appreciate being sitting in a padded chair in the quiet, so I'll stay here as long as you do. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier, how this this little media room, it's like a little mm. little getaway for us coming in here in our cave and we don't have to be out there in the big crowd. So, yeah, man, got a, got some stale sandwiches and some Cheez-Its, yep. a couple crackers, living living high on the hog. Jacob, how are you doing? Doing excellent, dude. It's been a it's been an awesome day. Kind of like catching up with uh, you know, you know, faces that we haven't seen in a year or two. Kind of like cuz like yourself, so it's good to have you on here kind of go over some of these uh some of these stories that you know we kind of want to talk about but i know it's been a really busy show so far from you guys uh especially with today being the last day mm-hmm. everybody and their mother's driving up here i didn't know it was the last day until like two hours ago yeah. <laughs> i was like what it usually goes till sunday yeah well I'm I'm loving the new format, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and you got Sunday to recoup and get home and all that. So, mm-hmm. but I can tell you this: at like eight thirty this morning, you didn't want to be at that exit trying to get into Opryland. It was backed up. It's crazy. So, that's good. That's exciting. It tells you, you know, turkey hunting part is is healthy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh yeah. And that's something we kind of talked about last year. I think was um the how the community around turkey hunting seems to be you know thriving right now um when other parts of you know kind of the hunting realm might not be as much but turkeys i mean turkey hunting and turkey hunting content is absolutely just flowing right now oh yeah and it's like people can't get enough of it like this show and like on youtube and everything else we've talked about i mean it's it's amazing how much um content people are wanting to soak up when it comes to turkey hunting especially when it comes to very relatable content. So mm-hmm. hopefully we can do a little bit of that today as well. Yeah. Um, well, uh, lay the groundwork a little bit. So we've had, because we've had you on like four times or something, mm-hmm. um, always been a popular guest of ours. And today we want to kind of talk about what we're going to call like old school turkey hunting, where nowadays, including some of the stuff that we cover on this podcast is like real complicated, technical turkey stuff. We kind of want to boil it back down to the basics, and you've been turkey hunting since when? Uh, I think the first a legitimate turkey hunt I went, I did was, you know, it was in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad didn't turkey hunt. My dad was a big fishing guy, lifelong military guy. Fishing was his deal, and he'd go deer hunt once a few times, but uh, I kind of got hooked on turkey. I was reading an article, and I can remember this. And it was in field and stream, but it was about Ben Rogers Lee. And that that name certainly will go over the head of a lot of young people. But he was the first real superstar in hunting. And this article was about uh, Ben Lee had already been out to Texas. And he was talking about crossing the fence. And he, he pushed the staple. He pushed the wire down, and the staple squeaked. And a turkey gobbled. And he actually <laughs> called that turkey up. Anyway, that might have been, you know, a little bit uh, of an exaggeration. But... Anyway, I kind of got real interested in turkey hunting, and we had some out there in the Homestead National Forest, so I certainly didn't know what I was doing back then, but I know it was the most fun. I knew immediately after I went once or twice I was addicted. So I I started in the late 60s about the same time, you know, the great Paul Butsky and Dick Kirby and all of them. There was not an industry back then. It was just a few people doing it. Matter of fact, the only – 
people I could find around where I live was doing it. My the football, the high school football coach Ed Reed did it, and uh, then the guy that cut my hair at the Rebel Barbershop. Now they wouldn't tell you anything because old school turkey hunters were hardcore. There just weren't many turkeys, mm-hmm. and uh, but uh, you know they they actually he Coach Reed he took me one time and. You know, he and I learned a little bit from him, but it wasn't there wasn't any internet or YouTube or videos. <laughs> it was like, and not many people did it, which added more mystique to it. So I just fell in love with it. Well, that's that's kind of cool. So, at what age was like the first turkey hunt you had? You said it was late sixties, but how old were you? Uh, I was probably about seventeen, sixteen or seventeen. Had my driver's license, had to do it my own, and uh, I remember I had a Lynch Jet Slate, which was a tiny little square call that fit inside each other and had a little peg in it. And it was, you know, that was my only turkey call. And uh, I, I can remember I, I got to go on the, which would have been the east side of the home of National Forest, found some turkeys. And I took this, some kind of recorder my daughter had, and you could put cassettes in it. And I took it with a blank one and recorded in case I heard a turkey. And I had a turkey gobbling across this creek. And every time I would squeak on that slate, he would gobble. And I, I was recording this, and I'd call, and he'd gobble. And looking back, it I'd have just, you know, waited 10 minutes, went up and crossed the creek and got on the same side as him. I could have killed that turkey in five minutes. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, but I know I had a great recording on this cheap cassette player when I go. And I, I immediately just went all in. So, yeah, I, was, I think I was around 16, something like that. Now, what was your transition like? So, you, you, you know, you had the first couple hunts. But, like, how old were you when you first, first killed your first bird uh, out there? Uh, I was probably 18 or 19. I was out of high school. <clears throat> Good friend of mine, Bubba Bruce, he hunted out there. And back then there weren't many people turkey hunting. <clears throat> the home of National Forest was – it was closed on one half. There was a main road that went through, and it was always the closed side and the open side. And uh, I knew Bubba, and, and sometimes we would see each other out there, but – uh, wasn't a lot of turkeys. I can remember my dad was a lifelong military guy, but when he retired, he was the sports editor for the Natchez Democrat. That's the town I lived in. And I can remember going with him and watching them actually trap turkeys out there with the, the first rendition of the cannon net, which was way more primitive than it is now. It was a big concrete coffee cans with eyelets in them and dynamite. You know, now it just goes <laughs> poof. But back then, it was a big deal. And they had a, a pasture out there. They'd been, uh, I guess, feeding the turkeys. And when that thing went off, it just shook the ground. They caught about, I don't know, 20 or so turkeys. And my dad was taking pictures <clears throat> with a big camera. It looked like a an accordion on the front. And the bulbs poof, would pop out. And I carried it for him, But... You know, it was uh, it was pretty amazing to actually kill a turkey out there, and it was right on the. I, I won't. I ain't gonna say it was on private land, but it was right on the line of the Homestead <laughs> National Forest <laughs> and another place. And this, you know, the turkey actually came in, and I can remember I was in so much shock. I shot that thing. I didn't. Back then, you ran to him because I mean, it was just a twelve gauge with probably sixes. If you were lucky, you could find some number six shot. Sometimes it was seven and a half, and the reason people ran to them is because you know they may roll around two or three times and get up. So, yeah, I could I can close my eyes and go back to that first time. It was like wow, actually, you know, I don't think I called to it, but once or twice, it wasn't like a big calling thing. I just happened to get in close enough and sit down in the right place without spooking it. That's the 
today I tell people that's the number one thing, you know, is, uh, you know, get close as you can, but don't spook it because they're so wary. And they're, they're really not any more wary today than, or back then than they are right now. It's just a few more people doing it. And they, it's like watching television gets people wound up into different things. And uh, it basically boils down to woodsmanship, you know, is getting in there quiet, doing this, and, and making it easy for them. And uh, that that's not changed. That's not going to change now. As pressure gets deeper and bigger on the turkeys, you may have to go deeper into the woods to find them or whatever. But I don't think tactics have changed any. So kind of going back to that time frame, you know, hunting with, you know, 12 gauges, was it a fixed choke in most of those guns? No, there wasn't any chokes. No chokes back then. <laughs> you didn't know what a choke was. It was like the gun came and it would be like I had a Stevens mm-hmm. double barrel. Okay. And it was one ch- one one barrel was modified and the other one was improved cylinder. It was a bird gun, and the first real turkey gun I got, I bought it at a, t- uh, a pawn shop, and I think it was a Savage. I have a old picture of me with it, Savage pump, and it was a f- a full choke shotgun, which was rare back then, and why it was even full choke. But it was it was stamped on there, it was, you know, it was just full choke, and I painted that thing and all that. That was my turkey gun for years and years and years. But there was there wasn't anything. There was no such thing as a turkey vest or a turkey choke or a turkey load. Ben uh, Tom Kelly told me, and of course he hunted them way before I did. He's ninety five years old. He said his uh, equipment. He said the the first thing he would grab was a look. Or a Life magazine. Back in the day, a Life magazine, man, this thing was like 20 inches across and 24 inches. It was gigantic. It was almost like an artist book. But it was just a magazine. And he would roll that, put it in his back pocket. That was his cushion. He would take that. Ma- and he said huh. if he got bored, he'd slide off of it and read a little bit. And he'd get it back <laughs> under him. And, you know, he had an old 12 gauge with some sixes and probably a box cone, something like that. And it was a, a simpler time. But. No, there wasn't anything related to turkeys back then except a few call companies, you know. There was a few people making calls and very little information. So let's talk about that when it came to calls back then versus the transition now. You know, now there's so many different call companies. But when you first got started, what was the knowledge like when it came to calling birds, calling turkeys, and what were, like, options back then? Oh, it was, a you know, a box call. That was it, you know, the lynch world champion and you may i think gibson had a box call and uh you you just didn't see anything lynch had a little slate call but everything i'd say it would be 99 percent box calls back then you know a one-sided and i tell people today if you're gonna if you're just getting into it and you don't understand this and that get you a single-sided box call and i'm telling you can kill every turkey in the world with it if you're sitting in the right place Mm -hmm. you know I, 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 when we, when I leave here, I'm going to go listen to the finals up there because those guys are, it's just unbelievable how talented they are. Oh, yeah. And I got in some <coughs> contests back in the day, and it was like, I, I figured out pretty quick I was way better at emceeing them than I was calling <laughs> against those guys. But it, I never had any trouble killing turkeys. And, uh, and I wrote a chapter in my book about bad calling because, you know, the worst calls you're going to hear in the turkey woods are going to be from hens. And it gets a little intimidating, although calling is part of the mystique. You don't want to you don't want to put such an importance level on it that people are 
shy to get into it because it's uh, any any sound that vaguely resembles a turkey and his windows open, you can kill him. But back then, I was it was just a box call. I can remember one of the first slates I ever saw. It was an ad in a magazine, and I don't remember what kind it was, but it was a a round slate, and the peg was made out of plexiglass, and it had like a corn cob, a resembling corn cob striker, and I thought that was the coolest thing. So I bought that slate, and I hung the corn cob striker around my neck so it would look like I was turkey hunting. The people say, what is that? Oh, that's my turkey call, but wasn't much available back then, and it weren't as many turkeys back then. So, uh, you know, we we all have a uh, a need, or we should have a need to thank the National Wild Turkey Federation because I saw that transpire with my own eyes. You know, there was there was always a few turkeys where I lived in southwest Mississippi, up and down the Mississippi River, mm-hmm. but there weren't any really anywhere else. There were some in Alabama, and I don't know what was happening up north, but there was just very few turkeys. So that back in that day, it was no no information. Very few people did it. It was like they were a unicorn. And nobody would tell you much about it. And that's another thing that fascinated me about it. If you killed a turkey a year, you were like, that dude's pretty good. And if you kill like two, then you were, that guy's a legend. You know, it was, it was a little different. And it's just because it wasn't as many. It's not, it was that hard or anything back then. It just wasn't as many turkeys. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Oh, you're good. Perfect. Andrew, let you roll with it. Oh, um, so with their, with like that culture of turkey hunting back then, was it? We we always hear about back in the day. It was uh like sit down, yelp three times, and then toss your call. And sit there and wait. <laughs> yeah, look, that's the way I was. That's the way I was raised. The, the guys that taught me is the same thing. If he answers, you shut up. Mm-hmm. If literally, if he answers you, and do not, absolutely, do not call while they're still on the roost. And you know, I was like, well, I mean, heck, that's the guy. He knows what he's doing. And it was a long time before I figured out maybe that's not all you need to do. And when I figured it out, is uh. I went to work. I, I, I shot some video for Will Primos. He, you know, I was buying true doubles. The only calls back then he was making was mouth calls. And Will Primos was, he was in the restaurant business. He wasn't a call maker back then. He was making calls, but he was doing it at night. And I was buying these true doubles and loved them. And uh, one of the first mouth calls I ever used. And uh, we were we bought this VHS camera at Sears, a buddy of mine did. Anyway, I was trying to film some turkey hunts, and I'd send him the VHS tape, which would take a week to get there because we used his mouth call. And anyway, he came down. He had this giant camera. He wanted to know what I try to film a turkey hunt with this big studio TV camera, and I did. And he paid me $0.12 cents a mile, do the math on that, and maybe $10 a day. And... You know, I filmed a little bit with it, and all of a sudden, he's like, look, don't you do this full-time? And now I got, now it's my job. I got to film turkey hunts, and I got to make stuff happen. So 
one of the first hunts I went on, I went with a guy, and he was like that. I think he was the editor of Field and Stream or something, but it was way back when, and he had these game ears, and it wasn't like what you see today. This was like, this was almost like some military stuff. They were really big. It's 35 years ago, whatever. And we were sitting there, and I had this turkey gobbling, and he was down by the creek. Couldn't tell what side he was on, but that guy had these game ears on. It looked like. You know, Sputnik, the satellite. Real, anyway, he said, he says, listen to this. So he hands me the, it was almost a helmet. And I'm sitting there and you hear the turkey gobble real loud. And I hear all these hens. I was like, well, dang, I didn't know those hens were down there. That was pretty fascinating. And I took them off, handed back to him. And I was like, that gobbler's down there gobbling every three or four minutes, not really paying that much attention to me. And he's got all these hens with him. Well, that's why I was figuring, because your stuff goes through your mind, you know, you're hearing him. is like, he ain't answering me much. It's like, oh, he's call shy. Somebody hunted him from the other side. All this stuff goes through your mind. When in reality, he had like 15 hens around him. There was no need for him to gobble. I was like, you know what? I'm going to get my name in the hat. Oh, my God, I'm going to call to him while he's in the tree. And I don't mean I did a machine gun cackle or cut on the tube call, but <laughs> I started yelping. And what happened is he, he didn't really gobble that much, but I got a hen all upset. Couldn't tell how far she was, but, you know, I'd yep, she'd yep, I'd yep, she'd yep. And then she pat, 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 flew down. Well, he went nuts. Well, guess which way she flew down? She flew down right toward me. She landed 40 yards from that guy, and guess where the long beard? She was the first one down. He was the second one down. You know, boom, walked up there, boom. I was like. Well, that wasn't in the book. Nobody taught me about that. You know, you ain't supposed to call to him. And still, I'll, I get, I'll have somebody here before the day's over tell me I call too much. And that's not the case. But, you know, you got to stop and think they're just turkeys. Well, not shortly after that, I went to the Natchez State Park, which was closed to hunting. They were building this big lake, and it was full of turkeys. And I would go out there just testing out new microphones and stuff. And I went out there one one day in February, it was like the third or fourth week, and there was eight or nine or ten or fifteen, however many it was, turkeys gobbling. And by and I sat there with them, and by, I don't know, 11 o'clock, I'd seen that whole, everybody was fighting, everybody was strutting. And by the 11 or 12 o'clock, there was one, one man standing, and he was running the show. And I went back in there the second morning, he was gobbling. And I could look, no foliage out, I could still see all those other gobblers there. And I was like... That's that's unbelievable to me how one can control things like that. Mm -hmm. And yesterday they were all fighting. Now they were content to let him be the man. So I was like, it's uh, it's about when their windows open. It's like I, I, I'm convinced people walk by half or eighty percent of the turkeys they could kill because they're being too timid. And old timers will cringe when you say that. But they just, they did make sounds all the time. They yelp and cluck and cackle and all. They don't think nothing about it. They don't think nothing about it when they hear you do it. Mm -hmm. It's just, well, that's another turkey over there. But it's, it, it's unless you're like sitting in a blind over a clover or a chufa patch with nine decoys, you're either going to hunt like that or you're not. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I have to do it sometimes when I got, you know, uh, a kid or something like that. But. I started learning, you know what, the more aggressive, not aggressive, but the more interactive I was, the more footage I was getting. Because I'm, now I'm getting paid to film turkey hunts. I better find turkeys. That's when I really got into hunting mid-morning. You know, because the first year I, we did the truth video, 
we had, I don't remember how many kills it was, but it was like 14 or 15, which was pretty good because that camera was heavy and I didn't know what I was doing. And I think two of them were off the roost. The rest of them were between like 9.30 and 12. I don't know if we talked about this last time, but people back then, they didn't, they didn't hunt. They'd hunt an hour before work, boom. And I love it. I love hearing the turkeys on the roost. But mm-hmm. nine times out of ten, there's so much going on right there that you're not aware of, and they've been doing it every day. Sometimes you're lucky to be sitting in the right place, but usually it's when those hens start drifting off. So, man, I would the more hours I'd put in, the more lucky we would be. And it was always loud calling. It would, you know, respond them, get them fired up. And it's just people didn't do that much back then. Tactics hadn't changed much then. Uh, I mean, from right then to right now. Now, if you hear the callers, how good they are, and they put emotion in it. One of the coolest things I've ever heard in my life, Ben Rogers Lee was doing a seminar, and I don't know how far I drove to hear him, but he was, like I said, the first superstar, Ben Lee. And he was doing it, and it was in some school gymnasium. I don't know where it was. It might have been in Meridian, Mississippi, but he did his seminar. He was just talking, and some guy was telling him, he said, I got a gobbler. This guy's 17 or 20 hens with it, had them open today. Now he's got 15 with it. He won't gobble. He won't strut. And he went all these scenarios. And he said, what should I do? And Ben Lee looked at him and said, find another turkey. <laughs> he ain't coming in. And he wasn't being a smart aleck. Mm-hmm. He was so far ahead of his time. He was like, leave that one alone. Mm-hmm. He flies down the field. He got said, that's a terrible scenario. Go find another one. He said, there's some around there that's, you know, like a satellite bull. They're two years old, whatever. And I, you listen to stuff like that, and you go, you know what? That makes sense. I'm going to try that. That makes sense. I'm going to try that. And Ben Lee, as awesome as he was and as great as he was, and I actually got to hunt with him one time, he wasn't no, like, unbelievable Paul Butsky kind of yelper. Mm-hmm. He was good, but he wasn't great. And, uh, you know, the, the calling part's kind of overstressed anyway. It's the mystique. But back then, nobody was a good caller. I mean, you boxing, scratching out, and they were killing them. You know, uh, Tom Kelly, the great Tom Kelly, who's here, by the way, he says back then turkeys were way easier to kill because there weren't many. He said if a gobbler heard you yelp as a hen, he probably hadn't heard a hen in two or three days. Boom. And I never thought about it like that. You know, he's like, that's the difference in hunting in 1960 and hunting in 20, whenever that was he was talking about. He said, that gobbler, he said, not only has he not heard a hunter, he hadn't heard a hen in two or three days. It just weren't that many. To me, that's the biggest difference it was back then versus now. That's interesting. I've never thought of it from that perspective before. That's really interesting. It's a really good point, I think, too. I mean – kind of talking about that i think that makes perfect sense now one thing i was going to ask you is what time frame like what kind of what was the date give or take uh years when you started you know filming and kind of getting more involved when you were taking like that uh the editor out to your hunt you know is that still you know is that in the 80s or? yeah that's in the early 80s and i was i did it part-time for a while and then i went to work for will and uh you know i was doing uh you know my, my struggle then was figuring <laughs> figuring the camera out and i got that done but Will Primos and Toxie Hayes, who the founder of Moss Hill, those guys were true visionaries. Now, looking back, I can see that more, but they were always both about, we need to show them this. We need to show them that. Will had a cassette. I wish I could find one right now, just an audio cassette of a turkey hunt. 
And it was the most epic thing I'd ever heard in my life. He took a sound guy out into the woods and filmed and, and recorded a turkey kill. I, I would lo- I've listened to it 10,000 times. Comes on, there's a red bird. And he's, and he's whispering, you know, they're always the first ones to wake up. You know, and then this and that. And it gets to the point where you can hear the turkey gobble and fly. And then the last thing's the, shot, the shotgun. Will, fuh, 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 fuh. You can hear the leaves flopping. I was like, coolest thing ever. And we all said, we've got to do that on video. So we started showing that on video, and it was – I had no idea it would kind of have the impact it's had because there was a whole group, age, whatever, baby boomers that were ready to get into that, and that was kind of their YouTube thing. Those early – there wasn't any out there. There was a couple of deer hunting tapes. The Wenzel brothers had done October whitetails, and, but there wasn't a lot else available out there, so – yeah, the 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 early '80s is when all that kind of stuff started. Was uh, '83, '82, '85, somewhere in there. Now back then, what was you know everybody hears like this day and age, all oh, TSS, you know, you know, all these nice chokes and shotguns and stuff. Back then, what was the effective range of most shotguns that oh. most guys were hunting <clears throat> with, and what did it take to get a bird coming to that range? Because I think now, guys, guys are just like, I just need him to get to 40. You know, he's dead or 50. Uh-huh. It doesn't matter. What was it like back then? Oh, it was you had to get, you had to get him so close. It was crazy. I mean, you, <laughs> if you want to know how far you could shoot a turkey, take a, a modified choke, which is pretty common, and a 12-gauge and load it with a 6 or 7.5 and go shoot it at 40 yards and shoot it at something like the size of a pallet. And see how many BBs. You, it's crazy how wide that is, and I'm sure some guys pushed it and all back then. But you know, 20 yards, 25 yards, and that's, and you had to be really still. You know, even Toxie. That's why he got deep into the mossy oak. When his dad would take him hunting down there at Choctaw Bluff in Alabama, they would build literally build a blind. You know, not. I, I mean, everything in front of you, stuff behind you, because I mean, you you better be getting them in close if you're gonna be effective. Uh, the the thought, even the remote thought of shooting at a turkey 40 yards was like, man, that will get you kicked out of the turkey hunting club forever. Nobody shoots at a turkey at 40 <laughs> yards. And I still kind of like to get them close myself. Uh, you know, with uh, – and I got three 20 gauges now that I want to make sure all – you know, wife and daughter, everybody's got a, a good gun. A 20-gauge, whatever choke, I think it's a Jeb's choke and some TSS 3-inch, it's a 50-yard machine. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable what that gun will do at 50. Oh, yeah. Cranky's 410. I would not hesitate to shoot a turkey at 35 yards with it, and it's a 410. It blows my mind. That's why I tell people, hey, today, right now, or the good old days, it wasn't back then. Right now, there's more turkeys. There's more options. There's more ammo. And that's just a, a product of the country li- we live in. It's like, you know, we went from the Model A to monster trucks just like at light speed. And that's, what, <laughs> that's what we did. But the tactics are the same. But it was, it was, uh, it was I won't say it was more difficult back then, but it was more challenging to find a turkey. But like Tom Kelly said, if you found one, your chances of killing him might be higher back then than they are now. So. Yeah. So I've got I've got a question when it comes to the hunting industry with turkey hunting. When did it click for like uh, Will Primos and Toxic Hayes and all these other companies? When did turkey hunting become marketable 
Was it when television got involved? NWTF. Okay. NWTF. You know, when Will first started in Taxi, it was all about calling on local sporting goods stores. You know, Bass Pro wasn't the giant. They still had, they probably just had their one little bait shop up there in Missouri. It was just selling stuff locally, you know. And when the NWTF got started, all of a sudden you see there's going to be a banquet to raise money for turkeys. And then at that show, or if it was just a little banquet, that would be a good place. And as the uh, the NWTF grew, so so grew turkeys. I, I give it 1,000% credit to the National Wild Turkey Federation. It made it cool because all of a sudden a guy that's turkey hunting who most people would consider a little strange, you know, just in normal everyday activity, has a place to go hang out mm-hmm. and be with like-minded people. And it just kind of rolled from there. Oh, that's exciting. Boom. No, I thought you had something, dude. No. <laughs> uh, no, so, well, I think the coolest thing is is kind of hearing about the perspective of, like, the equipment used back then from the calls, the guns, to really what it took back then to kill, which, like you're saying, it doesn't seem like it was much more different than today. It's just the technology on the equipment was different. Well, that's just the country we live in. You know, it's uh, it's such a it, – it's, it's – I'm sorry, my hearing aid just gave me a – I got some high-tech hearing aids in right now that talk to me from time to time. But, uh, you know, the first it's like the first turkey vest I ever saw. A guy took a quail hunting vest. Mm. He had a quail hunting vest, and he sewed a cushion to it, and it had a rope that came, a string that came up here with a brass ring. And uh, he could let that string down and sit on it, and when he stood up, he'd pull up there and tie that string. People are innovative like that, and uh, it's – it's now you can see. I walked over here and looked at a turkey vest a while ago that was like three hundred dollars. I'm like, you got to be kidding me! And it's got built in this and built in that, and and that's good. And we all, you know, the the product stuff is cool. But if you watch enough television, you'll think you got to have all this gear and all this stuff, and you got to be able to yelp like this guy. And some of that, to a point, is bad. That's why I'm loving. Some of the YouTube young guys hunting on public land, they, they, they're just getting by with whatever we like what we did back in the day. But yeah, there was a. It's fun to talk about it, how how hard it was back then. But I don't think it was any harder. It was just less turkeys. The equipment wasn't as good, but you just called them in closer. And the reason you could get them in closer is they probably hadn't seen any. It's just like that's why I fell in love with Texas. When I read that article about Ben Rogers Lee killing a turkey by squeaking the barbed bar thing. I said, I'm, I'm going to Texas because I was struggling out there in the home of National Forest. And I saw an ad in a Game and Fish magazine, Mississippi Game Fish or something. You could kill two turkeys for $200, and it was in Sonora, Texas. And I called the guy and booked a hunt. And I didn't have $200. No way I had that kind of money. But anyway, I drove. I got in my 60 – I booked the hunt, if there was such a thing. This was just a rancher out there. And uh, anyway, I booked a hunt. I called him, told him when I'd be there. And I had a 64 GMC pickup truck that I just put a floor shift in. Still had a floor. It had a hole in the floor. I could see the highway. And (laughs) looking down, and I drove that truck. I left really early, and I drove by myself. I went to Sonora, Texas. And by the time I got up, you know, when you get into East Texas, it looks like Louisiana. Mm -hmm. But by the time I got into Texas, it was dark. 
And I found my way, and I'm looking at an atlas because we didn't have GPS back then. And I had handwritten directions, and I pulled over two or three times with my flashlight, but I found the place. And it was probably, in, I don't know, 45 minutes before daylight. He had one other turkey hunter there. And I pulled up there, shook my hand, gave him, you know, my $200. And he said, okay. And he had me, he drew me a map, kind of like a square. He said, you're going to go to this pasture. And he said, when I let you out, cross the fence. And he said, just don't cross the fence. It's 680 acres. You'll be fine. And uh, just come, you know, I'll pick you up at one. Anyway, so I, I go up there, and he lets me out. And he said, now walk west, walk west. You know, the sun's coming up behind you. And the more you see, the more you. So I'm, I'm walking, and I've, all of a sudden I realize I'm, I'm walking in grass. It's like maybe a half an inch tall, and I can't see a bush. And I'm like, how could there possibly be a turkey out here? I said, I just got hoodwinked out of $200. And the longer I stood there, the madder I got. <laughs> and I was like, I've been hoodwinked. I'm out here. And if you've ever been to, if you've been to, first time you go to Texas, it's like Africa, you know, if you're from Mississippi. Anyway, the lights started coming up, and I hear this gobble, and then another. And all of a sudden, there's out in front of me, three or 400 yards, there's just a chain. And I've realized it's this weird sound. And I realized there's so many turkeys gobbling that I can't pick one out. So I just kept going. And all of a sudden, the terrain went down to a dry creek bottom, and there's oak trees everywhere. And I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> and it's, it's literally, it'll start on that end and come this way and go back. Hundreds. Oh. It, it was stupid. This would have been in whenever, 80, 79 or 80, somewhere in that world. I went down there, and I had two turkeys killed in like, I don't know, like five minutes, I'm done. <laughs> If they, if that, and and since that time, I was like, I, I hardly ever missed a time going back to Texas. But there, there was a bunch of reasons. Though there was like eight or ten counties right there that were big sheep country, and the only thing people in uh, sheep country do better than raise sheep is kill predators. There were oh, no yeah. predators out there. If somebody saw a coyote or something like that, they had these uh, like these old sirens from World War Two. And they crank that siren. Well, that would do two things. It'd call the cowboys in and also make that coyote. They didn't put up with predators. So the turkey population for a long time out there for those reels just went crazy. And it was like the easiest thing ever. You didn't really go out there to hunt. You went out there just to kill them. Dang, man. So we did, we did all our stuff out there. Now, fast forward 35 years. And some of those same areas and same ranches, those turkeys act just like they do in Mississippi. It's like, man, they've been hunted for forever. Oh, and yeah. uh, now they kind of act like turkeys are supposed to act, you know. I still love going to hunt Rios, but uh, it ain't like hunting them in Alabama. I tell people all the time, and it makes them mad because people have Easterns everywhere. I said, you could take a pen and put it on a map, like put it on the halfway Mississippi-Alabama line, then draw a circle 300 miles out from that. That's where the turkey thugs live right there. Those are the worst turkeys, the hardest. And I've been everywhere, wherever you want to go. I've been there. Mm -hmm. New Zealand, I don't care where you go. I've, I've seen them film or hunted them everywhere you can go. Those are the worst turkeys on the planet right there. That's, <laughs> that's why it was so much fun for me to go to Texas or Kansas or somewhere like that, you know, the – there's, there just wasn't any, any there wasn't anybody out there mm -hmm. hunting turkeys. It mm -hmm. was unheard of. It's like when we went to, I got called after we got the videos and stuff out, and I was at this show, as a matter of fact, 
the NWTF and a guy came to me and he was from New Zealand and he was representing the, the guide and outfitters association, which was fly fishing more than anything. He said, we got a lot of turkeys we want to promote. Will you come make a film? So we put a deal together and all I got out of it is Toxie Hayes went and I went and uh, Jim Cassida went, who was at the time the editor of the NWTF magazine. And we took our wives and what we charged them was the wives got to do all this cool stuff. They got to go, you know, shopping and sightseeing and all that. And we were filming turkey. And there were so many turkeys over there, it was unbelievable. And they thought that we had lost our minds because they just considered them like possums or vermin or something because they ate grass. And it's all sheep country. And I remember the first day we were there, the, I was watching this giant flock of turkeys, and they were going toward this. It was a sheer cliff right there and a bunch of trees down in this bottom. I said, I'm going to film them turkeys. This is going to be the prettiest thing you have ever seen. I got down there close and hid, and them turkeys got to the edge of that fence and just laid down in the grass, and that's where they roosted, on the ground. Oh, man. And I asked that guy, I said, what? He said, no, there's no predators over here. They don't even have fire ants, and they'll just sit around on the ground, and the next morning they'll move back this way. And It was like... And they they didn't eat them, they didn't hunt them, they didn't do anything. I was like, dude, you got a gold mine right here. So <laughs> it was it, now people go there all the time, you know, and it's not part of the World Slam, which I don't even recognize personally. But everybody wants to go to New Zealand, you know, the fly fishing and kill turkeys. Now that's a pretty cool hunt. I think they're Miriams. It's what I think. I think they brought them in from wherever, Mexico or Spain, somewhere a decade ago. But it's a uh, it was kind of like that in Texas, you know, back in the early 60s and stuff like that. It was crazy, especially in that central hill country where the sheeps, the sheep were so big. And I would love for young people to be able to go do that. And I'm sure there's probably still some big ranches private out there that don't like hunting, but it's like that. But, you know, Mother Nature has a way of evening things out when they get too heavy, you know, all of a sudden you get whatever, blue head or whatever they call it and brings them out. But... It's uh, it was such it was a lot of fun when it first took off, and uh, I believe that was strictly because of the NWTF. Because pretty soon you saw a guy had a turkey vest, and this guy had a pouch to put mouth calls in, or somebody, and it was it was fun to watch all that. But deep down, I don't I don't I don't think that the uh, the the tactics and all have changed much. It's, With kind of the the uh, popularity of turkey hunting kind of growing when did you see turkey hunting when was the explosion of turkey hunting and popularity happened did, did, was there a certain time when you like know it was like okay like it like a switch hit or was it more gradual than that yeah it a lot happened in that you know that late night late 80s you know the the primos videos came out nwtf all of a sudden exploded and there's probably a time around I don't know, 89 to 94, somewhere like that. It was just, it just went absolutely crazy uh, somewhere in that world. And I think it was because technology was changing. You you know, all of a sudden you got the internet and all that kind of stuff. But it had to be, it was between 85 and 95 is when uh, it really, and you could probably just look at the membership of the NWTF or how many people got into turkey hunting. It went from, Maybe one guy who's coaching the football team, to, you know, now there's like 50 people in Natchez at Turkey Hunt. And that'll make you mad at first. It's like, dang, I ain't going to never have a place, you know. And that's mm -hmm. the kind of stuff that goes through your mind. Now it's like, you know, we need everybody we can get. 
because those other, you know, turkey hunting is still ticking up a little bit. And the rest of them are not. Some of them are ticking down, and deer hunting especially is facing a lot of turmoil right now. CWD can't recruit new hunters. It's a lot of black clouds hanging over uh, deer hunting right now. I'm on the board of QD in Maine. We have, this is another reason turkey hunting is so important. People that really want to get into hunting that never have, dad didn't do it, mom didn't do it, they're, what they're interested in is the food part, the protein. They're real interested in getting their own stuff. What hangs them up on a deer, they're willing to buy whatever it is they need to get, the gear, the crossbow, the line. they can figure that out, and they're willing to kill the critter. What they get freaked out about is what do I do with it when it's laying on the ground dead. That freaks people out when mm -hmm. they get it. And a turkey don't do that. They can envision themselves throwing mm -hmm. a dead turkey over their back, plucking it. They eat one every Thanksgiving. That's why turkey hunting is so important to be that window into the hunting, you know, to teach people they can do it. And uh, it's, that's something that turkey hunting – has got this very unique, and I see it all the time. And I know I take people all the time, and once they get bit by it, they're kind of bit for life. It ain't like te you used to take people. I used to take people to Texas, and they either loved it or they hated it. There <laughs> wasn't no in between. You know, they hated the thorns and the briars. And the but when somebody goes turkey hunting, ninety times out of a hundred, they'll they're 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 addicted for life. The problem is just like with deer hunting, it's like guys your age, young guys. If you're married, your wife's working. Everybody's got to have two incomes. Everybody's got to, and time is just not available. Another thing you can do for about turkey hunting, you can go for an hour before work mm -hmm. and have the best hunt in your life and go back and not be late. Turkey hunting's got a lot of positive stuff. I don't think turkey hunting will click down at all. I think it's going to continue to tick up. That's why you see the explosion of public land. Everybody wants to go kill their grand slam. Well, I ain't paying three thousand dollars to kill one here or twenty five hundred. They're gonna do it themselves. Now, to me, that's the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Because there's a lot of public land that's got a lot, especially when you get out of the southeast. It ain't like that in Alabama <laughs> and Mississippi and stuff like that. But if you want to go kill a, now you can't really do it in Texas. There ain't hardly any public <laughs> land in Texas. But there's yeah. tons of public land in Kansas and Nebraska and Iowa and stuff like that, mm -hmm. and up in the northeast. Florida's kind of tough because there's, there's a little bit of public land down there, but if you want to go kill a, an OCL on public land, you, it's, it's, it's a journey because it's, yeah. it's a lot to do. And they do it all the time. I watched uh, uh, the Pinotti Project. They did one the other day but from last year. But mm -hmm. turkey hunting's got so much cool involved in it, in my opinion. You can do it. You can drag it out yourself, you know. And, uh, hey, I'm going to go kill the Grand Slam, and I'm just going to get in my truck and go do it. I may mm -hmm. do two this year and two next year. And oh, So yeah. I th I think more than anything, turkey hunting is not only the window for us to recruit more people. I think it's going to be around for a long time. People seem to have fun at this convention. They seem to have fun talking about calling. They seem to have fun talking about how to cook it and stuff like that. And, you know, turkey hunting's real. It doesn't matter if you're doing it in Wisconsin or Washington State or Florida. The Everything's the same now. The accents may be a little different or the recipes may be a little different, but they're all they're all in the same club. They're on the they're turkey thugs. They're cults. 
And they love to talk about, well, you can't do that down here. Well, I can do it out there. And you, sometimes you kind of miss that in other hunting. So I mm-hmm. think turkey hunting's strong. Yeah. Yeah, I've, uh, I just got married in December. And through, I've been with my wife for six years. We just got married in December. And through these six years, I've had her deer hunting a little bit. She hadn't killed one, but she could have killed one if it weren't for some antler restrictions on that place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's been squirrel hunting. She's killed a couple squirrels. And she's always been like, you know, she's like, yeah, I'll go sometime, but she's not real into it. But this year, I'm selling some stuff, and I'm buying either a 410 or a 20 gauge that she can use, and I'm going to get her turkey hunting. And if she doesn't get addicted to turkey hunting, I'm going to be surprised because I've taken her here a couple times, and I've even brought her to the Grand Nationals. And at first, she just thought it was hilarious. You know, everyone's up there like, yeah, yeah, yeah. doing their hands. <laughs> but then when she was, she got to watching it, and she got interested in it. So I think that for me to get her into hunting, I think that turkey hunting is probably going to be the best bet. Because I'd be surprised if we went out there and got set up 100 yards from a screaming turkey if she didn't just love it, you mm-hmm. know. There's no way you can take a person that's never been hunting, don't know anything about it, and explain to them about turkey hunting without them thinking that that's the most ridiculous thing I've <laughs> ever heard of. You cannot do it until mm-hmm. you go with them. My wife's the same way. My wife was born in Waukegan, Illinois. Moved to the south when they were 89 years old. She didn't know anything about hunting when we started dating. And I, I like to have never got her to kill a deer. I mean, and I could put her on some deer. It took her like six seasons before she actually pulled the trigger on one. After that, she was fine. Mm-hmm. But when she went turkey hunting, she loved it. She just, that first time, she's like, I can't believe I'm getting up this early. And God gave me a great hunt. It was four turkeys two-year-olds thank you god for two-year-olds and uh, she got to hear this and all that and they were behind us drumming and all that and she was like oh my god you know and it was like the coolest thing ever now she'll go every chance we get same way with my my daughters you know they they love that i don't there's you know the woods are so different in the springtime than they are in the fall stuff's waking up stuff's getting and they'll walk around looking at the flowers and all. They <laughs> just love it. And, again, people seem to have less of an issue killing a turkey or a duck than they do killing a deer. Mm-hmm. You know, something that's four-legged, warm, bammy-looking, all that. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a great way to get them introduced. There's no doubt. My whole my whole family, did. I had girls, and they, they went and loved it, and they got it. So, good for you. We need to take all of them we can. Yeah, yeah, I I can't imagine her, like, or I. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take her out, and I'm gonna I'm, even if I hear gobbles, I'm not gonna say anything. I'm gonna let her hear the first gobble and like call it out because she'll get she'll get so jacked up about that. I guarantee yeah. it. She'll she'll be really excited. So I yeah I can't wait for that. Um, we're running at let's see about 45 minutes here, so we we're about to have to go upstairs and listen to some calling. Yeah, me too. Um, but I don't know about you. I got one more question on like a more serious note about turkey hunting and the future of it. Is there anything out there that you see as a potential threat to future turkey hunting within the industry, at least? You know, <clears throat> without some unforeseen disease or something like that, I really don't. You know, I was able to visit night full last with uh, the secretary of Sonny Pardue, and we had a meeting oh, wow. at the SHOT Show with the him and the Secretary of Interior and Becky Humphreys, all these conservation leaders. And to hear them talking, you know, the politics we got right now with the administration we got right now, they are so pro-wildlife, pro-public hunting, pro-gun. I just, I can't see anything get in the way of 
a bright future. You know, the CWD thing on deer, that's an issue. And, you know, there's people divided on that. I don't see anything getting in the way of turkey hunting. Now, there'll be t- there'll be people that try to make too much money off of it, whether it's a, you know, a destination where you can only kill that Florida turkey or something like that. That 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 will happen, but that's just because we live in America. But mm-hmm. I don't see anything if uh, people love to hunt, and you know they won't ever be scared to eat that turkey breast. They can relate to it. I think the future's bright. I mean, I, I really think out of everything we got going on, turkey hunting more than ducks or deer or anything else is like, I think it's just poised for growth. Now, I'm no psychic, but I don't see anything that, that hinders or hamper, hampers that from, from happening. You know, everybody loves it. Uh, it's a lot of fun. People can relate. There's a lot of mystique about it. And people love gear. You know, there's a new camo every year or a new gun or a new choke. And if you think there ain't a lot of people do it, go on social media and make a remark about a choke tube. (laughs) I've never seen anything that creates more. You don't know what you're talking about, you know, and it's all fun and game. And I never get in that situation, but it's like, holy cow. But you know what? That's good. All these people are buying choke tubes and. Uh, the economy's good, and I think we're just poised for more greatness. I really do. Now, kind of playing devil's advocate on that, what about opportunities to turkey hunt in the future? Do you see that going up or down or staying the same? You, you know, that's that's one you can't call because it depends on the people. It's just like watching the hunting public or, or Dave Owens or any of those guys. If you've had an inkling to go do that, they're telling you, I can do it, you can do it. Now, if a person is is like, mm, man, I'm gonna have to walk a mile, I'm gonna have to walk a half a mile, and that's too much work, and all, we ain't gonna get them anyway. Our job is to keep making it look like that is so much fun. You know, I was talking to Aaron, those guys on the hunting public, and I was telling, them, look, with all the people y'all are reaching, and everything that there's a responsibility that comes with that. Because y'all are now, like I said, the, the tip of the spear. I said, do a little more on the food part of it. Show them a great recipe. Show them how good this stuff is. Show them how easy it was to cook. That kind of thing. If you do that and don't make it too difficult, I don't know what the next generation. I don't even know what you call them now. I'm assuming baby boomers, millennials, X generation. I don't know what the next one's going to be. My personal thoughts are, is there was a generation, yeah, where, and it's probably – you know, that somebody that's 35 or 40 right now, their parents didn't take them hunting. And I think the younger bunch, I think they're more fired up about it than ever. And it's not that they're real, like, I'm just going to eat organic meat and all that. I just think they're more adventure-oriented. I think that's why the, the public land stuff's cool. Because, like, man, they're into adventure, and I ain't got $10,000. You know what, I'm going to just do it myself. I'm going to drive oh, out yeah. there to canvas, and I'm going to pop my tent. And I'm, Man, when I was I, – I ain't no way I'd do that. I went out to uh, – I got an RV. I can pull my RV out there and do it. <laughs> but I, I know as far as me, like, walking 10 miles, and I, that boat's done left the dock. But if I watched them, the hunting public guys, hell, I went out to Nebraska last year with two of my buddies to bow hunt on public land. And I did some checking. I did all – I got Google Earth and OnX, and I know how to run all that stuff. And did some calling. Nobody, and here's what I hear. Nobody hunts out there except when pheasants open. That's when it gets really busy. 
and we went out there, and I bet you I saw 200 bow hunters. It was packed. Oh, and not, not one from Nebraska. They were all from Colorado. <laughs> but you know what? I got up and went out there and tried it anyway, and we didn't even see a deer. It was so many people. But <clears throat> the adventure, I had more fun going out there and coming back with my old buddies, who all three of us were way too old to try to do anything like that. <laughs> but it was so much fun, and that's what I put on YouTube. Dude, we had more fun than you can imagine. So long as we do it like that, I, I have so much faith in what's going on with all the conservation groups right now. NWTF, DUL, all those people right there are doing, they're just focused like lasers. They got blinders on. You know, our political climate is perfect for that. So without some unforeseen mystic disease, I think it's, it's a bright future. Well, fantastic. Well, cuz, is there anything going on with moss yoke this coming year that people ought to be aware of kind of coming? To yeah, fruition? you know, the, the, there's a lot going on. The moss yoke go app has just been fantastic. I did some wraparounds or some stuff for them the other day. We're having some turkey content. Dave Owens, those guys will be in there and some more and will, and it's all free. And uh, watching how people use that Mossy Oak app is fun. It's a great way. We're getting where we put most of our content on there. Rather than TV, I did a video not long ago how to build a bow blind. It was made out of hog panels and oh, sweet. a tarp. Mm -hmm. And they just put it up for some reason. I was like, well, better late than never. But, you know, that's that's just made for the Mossy Oak Go app. And I, what I did is I went to uh, Home Depot and for a hundred, less than a hundred, I think it was less than a hundred dollars, and in forty-five minutes, I built this blind, and you wouldn't believe it. I've had one for seven years; it's the coolest thing ever. You can pick it up and move it. You can bow hunt out of it and all that. That's the kind of stuff I'm interested in. But yeah, the Mossyoak Go app is perfect for that. You don't have to wait till next week to see the episode. You can just pull it up on your phone. So we're kind of focused on content and social media right now. Awesome. Well, because we appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's always a great time speaking with you. You know, this is another great uh, NWTF convention. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to go upstairs and see some awesome calling as well after this and kind of seeing really what brings turkey hunting all together, which is the community behind it, uh, along with the characters in the industry, which really make it a fun time. So once again, we appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Don't forget you guys are the, the tip of the spear. Keep doing that hard work and have fun. You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that, that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? 
this year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now, we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.